When I started off this podcast, one of the things I strive to do was to get as many different types of experiences and subject backgrounds as possible to feature on this podcast. I didn't want any overlaps, as much as I could avoid it anyway. I didn't want people all from the same university or the same regions or even the same countries if I could in any way help it. I have, I think for the most part, managed to be successful in that so far, with the exception of one area. My time in Korea, where I spent a year teaching, presented me with a decision to make. On one hand, there was a variety of people, all who had taught in Korea, so that kind of experience was definitely a downside and a bit of an overlap. On the plus side though, these people were from all over the world. They had incredible stories to tell and are very interesting people with great experiences and advice that I hope will be of benefit to you. The reason I'm bringing this up is that as the episodes go by, I am very aware that the majority of the people who feature on the show are from a variety of different subject areas and backgrounds. But there is a slight overlap where every so often I will manage to convince an old friend or colleague of mine from South Korea to feature on the podcast to share their story. Today's guest is Zach from the United States of America. He went to an Ivy League school. And what I find really interesting is that on one side, Zach and I have had similar-ish sort of experiences. You'll hear that we both went to work in Korea. We both work for universities now. But on the other side... It is a completely different story. And as always, I'll let him do the talking. This is Zach Horn, from studying finance to working as an academic advisor. Welcome to Graduate Compass, the podcast for graduates who haven't quite figured out what their next step is going to be. Okay, Zach, as a starting point, how about you introduce yourself, tell us where you went to college, and tell us what you're doing now. Okay, sure. So I'm Zach Horn. Um, I studied finance at Notre Dame, and I minored in Korean. Uh, Weird combination. But yeah, I studied finance, and now I'm working in higher ed, so I'm an academic advisor. Zach, can you tell us a little bit about why you studied, what you studied at college? Yeah, sure. So... It was basically like a lack of passion towards anything else, if we're being honest. So in, um, I was always kind of a go-getter, like, quote-unquote, smart kid in high school. Um, so I was good at most things, but I just didn't really, like, there was nothing specific that struck me, like being a doctor, for example, which is what half my friends did. Um, but I was good at math. Math and science were kind of like my two better subjects. I'm a little more math brain than, like, liberal arts. Um And so I thought, like, what's a good, like, kind of generic degree that involves um, math? And then I didn't want to do engineering. So (laughs) so I kind of settled on business. um, And, like, thanks to the advice of my dad as well, who thought it would be, like, a good financial um, kind of security, as well as incorporating, like, how I think. Um, So I went into Notre Dame thinking I was going to do business. And I kind of chose Notre Dame because it's, at the time, it was like the number one undergraduate business program. Um, so, and then our sophomore year, we kind of determined like in the business school, what do we want to do? And I, by the time that happened, I was still kind of like, I'm good at math. So finance is kind of the most mathy, if you will, but as opposed to like marketing is a little more like people facing side. So. 
So I suppose the most obvious question to ask there is, once you're finished, why didn't you want to go down that kind of Wall Street type of finance or whatever it is, the kind of options you had available to you in the, in the finance world? Yeah, I really wanted to be poor. So, um, no, <laughs> I thought this is too good to be true. No, um, I really think I was not happy with it my entire time at Notre Dame, but it took me a while to like come to terms with that myself because of multiple like pressures on me, um, external pressures. Like my dad and mom were never strictly like, if you change majors, we're done. But I just kind of felt a sense of like, oh, you went to Notre Dame for finance, so you're going to do finance. And also my dad is pretty successful in his own right. So it was kind of always expected that I would go on to do better financially. Um, And so I kind of felt a pressure to do that. But um, during my time at college, I never really like pursued any extracurricular activities related to finance because I just didn't care about it. And in school, I was like, this is fine. Then when I started applying to jobs, I was like, oh, actually, I should have done some of that stuff. So I think I was good at it academically, but I just, I didn't go above and beyond because I didn't really care about it, even even on the conscious level when I was still lying to myself, being like, yes, I'm going to go into finance. Subconsciously, it was like, no, that spark was never there. Um, And then a big part of it, too, is that with my Korean minor, um, I got a Fulbright grant grant scholarship to um, work in Korea, which initially was going to be temporary. Um, for like a year and then come back and do finance but that kind of altered my trajectory so tell us what was involved in you going for that scholarship and was that something that happened straight after college or was there a bit of a time gap yeah so I did it straight after graduating so I was looking for finance jobs in general not having the best of luck I had a few like first round interviews or whatever but once I heard back from Fulbright about getting the teaching grant the finance job search was over. I was like, okay, we're done until later. Um, and yeah, I applied like beginning of my senior year. And then we find out April, I think is when I found out of my senior year. And then we start right after. Um, so every program's a little different, as you know, and some of your listeners might know now that like the academic year in Korea is the opposite of America. So um, we graduated in like May and then we went in July um, for orientation. And then we started in the um, second half of the school year in Korea. Um, the Fulbright program specifically is open to like different ages. I think like some people do take gaps. Um, I think you have to be under 30 basically, which first of all is kind of a weird rule, but I digress. Um, but most people do it right after um, university. So I graduated and went straight there. What did you have to do to qualify for the scholarship? Um, I mean, really, it's just the application process. There's nothing really specific. You have to be um, an undergraduate student from an accredited university, I think. Um, And I really don't know the specifics of like that side of things, just because I knew that at Notre Dame I was eligible, so I did it. But the actual application process, um, it's a fairly standard application, but there are two one-page essays that are kind of like statement of purpose and personal statements, like why do you want to do this? What are you looking to get out of it? Because Fulbright has various different scholarships and grants, so a lot of them are research-based. Um, so even though the one I did, the teaching grant, the ETA is not um, research-based, the application is still kind of like you should be um, you're looking to see what you're going to do in that culture and how you're going to be an ambassador, um, a cultural ambassador to not only share about like 
our lives as Americans, but also to gain from wherever we're going. Um, so it's the application and then there's a few rounds of interviews. And so you get there in about July and was it initially for one year or were you there for kind of a longer period of time? Yeah. So again, every Fulbright program is different. So Fulbright is sponsored by like the American government, but every country that has a grant is slightly different. So I think most of the standard is one year. Um, and in Korea, the default is one year, but you can apply to basically renew your grant. Um, so minimum one year, maximum up to three years, which is what I, uh, spoiler alert, what I ended up doing. Um, so I really did though. I didn't even know that was an option when I first started there. So I thought like, this will be a year having fun in Korea and then done, but turned into more. So, <laughs> so I'm assuming you were teaching the whole time or was there something else you were involved in? Yeah. So I mean, teaching was the main, um, job that I was doing. So as you know, I started, um, my first year in Gyeongju, shout out Gyeongju, um, like a small town in South uh, East Korea. Um, and then my second year I was applying to go to Seoul, um, which is, it, it sounds like it'd be more competitive, but actually Fulbright sends a lot more people to the smaller towns because they're in higher need of um, like better education and more resources. Um, but a, like it was a little competitive within our program to go to Seoul. So I got placed there luckily and then I stayed in Seoul for my second and third year. So people who've listened to the previous episodes of this podcast will be aware that there are other teaching options in Korea, in public schools and in private schools. So were you not tempted to stay in Korea and go down one of those routes after? Yeah, um, no. So <laughs> I had a very like love-hate relationship with Korea and I enjoyed my time there obviously. Um, but there was a lot of ups and downs, and I think going to Seoul was a really difficult time for me, just personally, because I'm pretty, like, introverted, not the most, like, quote-unquote adventuresome person, um, even though my family thinks I am because I lived in Korea, but I digress. They're like, oh, my gosh, my baby went across the world. I'm like, okay, I was just wiping the snot off uh, first-year Korean students, but it's fine. Anyway, so I really loved my time in Gyeongju and, like, having our kind of, like, we had a small community of um, foreign like teachers and people who worked there that was relatively close. And it was just a little bit more my pace. And when I went to Seoul, it was fun and there's more opportunities, but it kind of stressed me out and I was a little more lonely. So I really enjoyed the work. Um, and like, I, I love connecting with students and young people and like mentoring and those sort of things. But I think I was just ready to kind of experience being an adult in my own country for a little bit. So people ask me all the time, like, are you going to go back to Korea? I'm like, probably, maybe, but just not anytime soon. Like, let me kind of get established <laughs> in America and then figure out where we go. So let's rewind the clock a bit. There's a few months left and, you know, you're thinking about your options, about going back to the States. What was going through your head at that time? It was kind of up and down. So I feel like towards the beginning of my time in Korea, I thought maybe like, oh, I'm not really too keen on like going back and doing business especially and like the more I spoke to like other people in my cohort and formed those friendships and the more I taught students in Korea I was like I mean this is what I care about I don't want really feel like going back um not to mention I'd forgotten all my finance so but I I initially thought of going into international relations so my second year I was like oh this is perfect like I don't want to do business so I'll do international relations like 
I enjoy learning about other countries. And then I like got deep into a rabbit hole and like applied to all these graduate schools in America and in DC. Um, and then like at the end of it, I had a coming to Jesus moment basically and thought, I don't want to make the same mistake I did in undergrad. I need to take some more time to figure out what I really want to do. Um, so at that time, I was like, do I enjoy like the international side of things or do I enjoy the education side of things? Or And it could be a combination of both. But I came to the decision that like going into international relations, most Americans will then work in politics. And that's not an area I wanted to be in because the vibe, the atmosphere, the environment is kind of similar to the business world, which is the whole part of it that I did not enjoy. Um, kind of hierarchical, strict, et cetera, which is, can be a whole separate conversation too. But um, so yeah, when I was actually leaving Korea, I did not have a job set up. I just knew like, oh, I want to go into education instead and we'll just figure it out. So um, I was planning on job searching when I got back. Now, naive old me thought it would take like, oh, like two months, then I'll get a job. So like cut to November when it was half a year later and I was like, I need a job. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're down the long run. I have a job now, but um, I really kind of deferred until I got back to America to actually start making the like detailed decisions of what I'd be doing. Before we get into the details of what you do now, and I definitely do want to look at that, there is, I think, a bit of an obvious question. If you love education so much and you love the teaching side of it, why not become a teacher? Yeah, um, I do enjoy connecting with the students and Fulbright is kind of funny along actually a lot of teaching positions English teaching positions in Korea are funny because like you don't really have to be super qualified if we're being um, fair. It's like, hey, you speak English, go teach it. Um, and really, I was teaching American culture and like life lessons more so. Um, so I don't know if there's like a specific subject that I felt, first of all, passionate enough to teach, but second of all, like qualified enough to teach. And it's I'd have to get like a whole education degree, which is just a little more complicated, um, especially in America. Um, so yeah, I decided to focus more on higher education where I can still like interact with younger people, but maybe be on the more like administrative side of things. But also I'm still like in the middle of all that because this, where I am right now is my first higher education job. So I'm still thinking like, do I wanna be more ground level um, with students or more like, um, policy side of things so it's I mean it's all kind of a jumbled mess which is that's life I guess. So you come back from your adventures abroad you're back in the states you're dawdling along for six months or so I suppose the two questions then from that a how did you find the job that you found and b what was your motivation to go for that particular job other than the fact that you know you needed an income? Yeah I was living at home with my parents so um, you know I was living large but my small savings from Fulbright were dwindling. So um, I knew I wanted to be in DC because I'd spent all that time looking at international relations schools here. Even though I decided maybe international relations wasn't for me, I got kind of excited about like moving there and I talked to people about DC and I just wanted to experience kind of a different place. And DC, while it is a big city, it's not like New York or even like Seoul, it's not like huge. Um, so I thought maybe it would be kind of like 
in terms of city environment, kind of a middle ground between like what I was talking about between Gyeongju, which is a super small town, and then Seoul, which was a little overwhelming for me, maybe somewhere like in the middle. Um, and a lot of people that do Fulbright end up in DC because it's like related to the US government. Um, so I just thought I will like know people here as well, which for me being an introvert, like as long as I know some people in a place, that's um, reassuring. In terms of the actual work, um, like I mentioned, I was kind of settled on higher education. Um, and really, I just kind of wanted to find any job to get some experience that was student facing. So I was basically looking at academic advising jobs. Um, and within academic advising, I was pretty darn open to most um, schools or most situations. So right now, um, I'm an academic advisor for graduate students in the engineering program at George Washington University. Don't know anything about engineering, but that's fine because they have another faculty advisor, but it's a whole system. But um, this was just the first job that I got like second round interviews for and flew out to DC and like had an in-person interview and it went really well. So um, initially planned on this kind of like Fulbright, kind of like being maybe um, not temporary, but just like a shorter um, work experience to be like a get my foot in the water. For anyone out there who doesn't know what an academic advisor actually does, talk us through about your job and what actually you do day to day. Yeah, so day to day now is a little different, but um, in general, we aid our students with pretty much any logistical problems they might have, whether that's like registration um, or just dealing with forms or if they want to take a leave of absence or if they want to like, I mean, registration is kind of the, the biggest thing we do, but we also handle their graduations, which is a surprisingly manual process to be like the year 2020, um, but that's something I didn't know beforehand. Um, so at our school specifically though, the student we have a dual advising system. So the students have a faculty advisor and then a professional advisor. So I am professional, you heard it here first. Um, but the faculty advisor is like a faculty member from their department. So whether that's computer science or um, like electrical engineering, biomedical, et cetera, they are like experts in that field. So any questions about like the content of their courses or like which courses suit the student interests, we don't really handle those sort of things. That's for the faculty advisor. So we meet with a lot of students to discuss um, like are they meeting all of their programs requirements? Are they on track to graduate? Um, can they take this class or this class and can they count it towards whatever? So it's a lot of logistical like organizational things. Um, However, I cannot attest to what a normal year is like because this year has been consumed by, you know, coronavirus and COVID and how that's affecting our um, instruction um, instruction modes in the fall. So. so it sounds like you're really enjoying the job so far. Has it opened up your eyes to potential career routes within higher education? That part, I feel like not yet. Like I'm still working on it because this job has been kind of overwhelming because a lot of it is new to me because like I've mentioned, I worked about two months and then uh, two months from the office and then started working from home, which was a whole separate learning curve. However, being at GW at George Washington presents some opportunities in and of itself, and I will most likely be getting my graduate degree from there. Um, so I'm looking forward to speaking to people about like what different fields in education I can go into. Um, but if I get my degree from GW, it is free. So um, because employees get um, like tuition remission discount. So 
yeah, like I said, still kind of in the process of figuring out like what level of education I want to be in. Um, but for now, I'm just focusing on my job, I guess, <laughs> with all the craziness going on. And Zach, it does sound like even so early in your career that you know you've you've learned a lot so far. So I'm just wondering what kind of advice you would have for anyone trying to figure things out. I know people say don't choose a job like just for the money. I'm not sure if I could speak to that because I never had the finance job. But like, I really had to, I should have listened to myself earlier because I knew all along in college that was not something I wanted to do. But I think I continued to um, kind of lie to myself to make sure I was successful in the eyes of others, whether it be my family or just kind of like society. Throughout my life, I'd always kind of like ticked off boxes. And because of my personality, it made me like happy to take those boxes. Like for example, I was in AP classes and I got into like the number one business school and I'm doing finance, like all these things that on paper look really good from what society tells you, but I was never happy with it. Um, and then when I went, I mean, I got lucky enough that I got the Fulbright grant and got to go to Korea and it kind of really shifted my whole perspective. Um, so first of all, don't be afraid to like try new opportunities because for me Fulbright was just kind of a one-off I thought it'd be temporary and then it's really changed my whole life because otherwise I'd probably be working in uh, the business world right now um so don't be afraid to take opportunities and listen to listen to your heart which is so cheesy but like if you're unhappy look at why you're unhappy and what aspects of your work are making you feel that way and why you don't feel fulfilled I know it's not so like easy for everybody and it's not always black and white like I'm you know I'm happier in my job now it's not the perfect job for me I'm still figuring out like what I want to do and where I want to take it um but in college I knew that finance wasn't it and I really should have could have like turned that boat around a little faster so Zach you're gonna have to excuse my ignorance what's AP oh sorry advanced placement I was actually an IB which is like international baccalaureate but I feel like in America, at least, most people know AP more than IB, so it's funny because I, I lied to you anyway. <laughs> okay, well, go on and explain what it is because I genuinely don't know anything about it. Um, a I know AP is basically like you're taking college-level classes in high school, and you can get credit for them. So at the end of the year, there's a big um, exam for each subject, and it's like a scale of one to five. So pretty much if you get a five, then you can like get credit out of college and start your major faster whatever I mean but IB is a similar program but more internationally focused so like the courses took a more international like lens um so just like a small example in our English class we only read works of literature that were translated from other works um so like French works German works etc we didn't read anything that was like American <laughs> um but yeah, similar thing, we would take an exam and you'd be able to like get out of credit, um, college credit, so you could start um, some of your courses sooner. So Zach, I'm just wondering, can you think of any kind of specific examples of mistakes you made so far in your career that you ended up actually learning from? Yeah, I was really deep in the process of applying to international relations programs. Like I had gotten letters of rec, and I had like done my resume and filled out the applications and like I was very deep in the process and it wasn't until I started writing the um, the letters or like the statement of purpose for the international relations schools where I was like, 
I can't think of anything that feels like genuine. That's like, I really believe in what I'm writing. Like I could write about all my experience and like Fulbright, which is great, but it doesn't really tie into like what I actually cared about on the applications, I mean. Um, so that was kind of a hard choice for me because I had to like, I mean, first of all, call my parents, cried, classic Zach move, and just be like, I don't know what I want to do. And like, I don't want to make the same mistake I made for undergrad, which is like knowing all along that I didn't want to do it, but just lying to myself to meet those like terms of success that society deems are correct. Um, so similar mistakes, I would say in undergrad though, I failed to catch that. Obviously I've still turned things around, but I'm really glad that I didn't um, like just apply to international relations schools because I thought that was what was expected of me. Um, other than that, and this is more of like a personality thing than like my actual job trajectory, but I think um, like talking to more people is always, can only be helpful because it really broadens your perspectives. And like, it wasn't until I did Fulbright that I met people who were going to like study education and go into like education policy. And like, those are things I didn't even know about beforehand. Um, and because I'm relatively introverted, like I hate networking, especially that word triggers me. Like networking, especially in the business sense, just gives me like anxiety. But um, but really just like talking to more people and like talking to people in fields that you're inter interested in and talking to people sounds like professional, but I mean like even your friends and stuff who you haven't maybe talked to in a while will help you just like discover kind of what suits you and what doesn't. Um, so I'd say I could have done more of that um, but, you know, it worked out. That was Zach Horn talking about his experience of working as an academic advisor, having originally studied finance. What I really like about Zach's story is I think he's really brave in the way he's so open about the social pressures of why he went to college to do what he did. Those pressures from not just his immediate family, but also kind of the wider societal pressures. There's also a part of his story that really resonates with me personally. The idea of knowing that you have a vague area that you want to work in, but you haven't quite worked out the speciality or what way you want to take it yet, is something that I can relate to, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to as well, regardless of whether we're talking about education or some other field. I've often thought, and it's been said many times in this podcast so far that career education sometimes gets landed with this idea of planning for the future. Whereas all we're promised, at the risk of sounding like some kind of love song, is the here and now. You don't have to find your perfect job after college or university. You just have to find something you're reasonably happy with and then make the next step and the next step and keep developing along the way. Figuring out your career path can be scary and stressful and a generally unpleasant experience. But it also can be exciting and exhilarating and lead you to places you never thought you would go. We've heard that so many times in this podcast series so far. So I suppose my ending comments to this week's episode is, if you can, just try and enjoy the ride. Because you'll never know where it's going to take you. I'm Keanu Sullivan. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Graduate Compass. Remember, if there is a degree subject or specific industry you would like to be featured on any future episodes, then we would love to hear from you and know what you are trying to find out. 
Our email is info at graduatecompass.ie.